Today's show brought to you by Redcon1.com. That's right. Click the link at the bottom of the podcast app in which you are listening to this on. Check them out. Use promo code T20Cordimus. That's right. Redcon1.com. There's nothing special about being American. None of you can define for me what an American is. I am the nation. I was born on July 4th, 1776, and the Declaration of Independence is my birth certificate. The bloodlines of the world run in my veins because I offered freedom to the oppressed. I am many things and many people. I am the nation. I am 200 million living souls and the ghost of millions who have lived and died for me. I am Nathan Hale and Paul Revere. I stood at Lexington and fired the shot heard round the world. I'm Washington, Jefferson, Patrick Henry. I'm John Paul Jones, the Green Mountain Boys, David Crockett. Coming to you from the D-Town Studios in the free state of Florida, sponsored by Maker's Mark Bourbon, this is Don't Tread on America. I'm your host, Don Q. It is June 6th, 2023, Tuesday. It's a rare Tuesday show. I'll explain why here in a minute. Let's go. everybody going out there today it is tuesday june 6th a rare tuesday appearance here in the d-time studios sitting here looking around at all the crap i have in this room tell you what it's a lot of crap <laughs> it's not really crap i i i think it's cool whether you think it's cool i guess coolness is in the eyes of the beholder anyway i guess that's a show for another day I am here today because I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow, and I feel that if I go ahead and do the show today, I won't have to stress it tomorrow. So, here we go. I already had everything prepared, and uh, I just figured it'd be easier this way. So, with that being said, I want to get a couple things out of the way first real quick, guys. Whatever podcast app you're listening to this on, please, please, subscribe to the show, follow the show, whatever... Whatever button is there on your podcast app, go ahead and hit that. That way you get updates. If I do a random Tuesday show or a Thursday or whatever day, you'll get the update. And it'll be there for you to listen to. Also, make sure that you're sharing this with your friends. Whoever you feel that needs to hear the things that I'm saying, please, please do that. And, uh... You know, just get them to listen. Um, if you listen to on whatever podcast app you're listening to this on, it doesn't matter. If if you're on a Google phone, you know, an Android phone, and uh, your friend has an iPhone, I'm on Google, I'm on Apple, 
uh, podcast. If they listen to podcasts on Spotify, iHeart, um, Stitcher, Amazon, uh, Samsung Free, Podbeam, just about everything else, I'm there also. The only place that we are not at, uh, that I am not at, I guess I should say, is uh, on Pandora. So, you will not find us on Pandora, and that is that. I don't know why, it is what it is. But pretty much everywhere else the podcast is heard, we are there. So make sure you're sharing this with your friends. I feel that we're coming along. <laughs> I had some some words of encouragement from uh, a listener that, you know, I don't know. I don't know this gentleman. Uh, he's from Spain. He's been listening to the show for a few months now. Um, sends me stuff on email and whatnot. Uh, he follows us on the Facebook page and he's also subscribed to the the website you guys can do the same thing it's a uh, don't tread on america on facebook instagram and the ticker talker and uh d time underscore 70, 1775 on on uh twitter and our website is don't tread if you guys follow us at any of those locations you can also get in touch with me and if you have stuff you want to talk about, things you, that you find interesting in your area, your your country, wherever you're at, uh, we do call the show Don't Tread on America, but a lot of the subjects we talk about aren't necessarily just American things. And even though my version of whatever I'm talking about might be because of an American situation, you probably have a similar situation going on in your country because... Like I covered in the last show, this isn't an American thing. This isn't a you know a, a Great Britain thing. This isn't a France thing. This is a global elitist thing. Now, when you hear those words, global elites, it's not Biden. It's not Trump. It's not. <laughs> it's not. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know who's in England. Pardon my ignorance, but you know, it's not those people. It's not Macron. It's not these people. It's people that control them. These guys are just the face. So when I <clears throat> excuse me when I talk about stuff here in America you can identify with what I'm talking about no matter what country you're in cuz you probably have similar situations going on and uh, we could just build a community and all come together but the words of encouragement um and I and I, I guess it's it's bad to do self praise or whatever but I think the one thing that does frustrate me about doing this show, and, and granted, I've said this you know a hundred times, I'm just a dude with a full-time job and a part-time podcast. I don't make any money off of this. Now, would I like to do this as a full-time gig? Would I like to have a show of my own, like other than this? Yeah. I mean, that's that's crazy. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't enjoy it. Um, And his words to me were essentially, you know, the show I just did on Sunday... If you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to go do so. The Fifth Great Awakening. Um, he feels, and now this is a guy that obviously listens to a lot of podcasts, that this was one of the best shows he's ever heard and one of the best shows I've ever done. And I would have to agree. I, I, I would, I'll say this. This is, I think, show 276. And... I'm not saying all the shows I do are bangers. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit it. it's kind of hard to do this. Um, I mean, the basic idea of doing a podcast isn't rocket science. 
but to come up with the content, you know, two, three, four times a week, I don't have producers, I don't have other people dealing with this. It's basically me. Chris throws me some ideas here and there. Lately, he hasn't really been involved, so I don't know what's what's going on there, but nonetheless, um, I do try to stay away from everyday subjects, mainly because that's what everybody else is talking about. What I would rather do is find out why these things are happening. Why are everything that everyone else is talking about why is it happening why is these things happening why is biden in control this guy is obviously an elderly old man and we can talk about him falling or bumping his head and we can laugh and and in all honesty is it really funny is it really funny like i didn't vote for him and i can sit here and say that's what you voted for that's what you get or that's how they cheated and that's what you get whatever Whatever, whatever. However he became president, whatever. The fact of the matter is, is he is our president. He is our leader for what it's worth. And unfortunately, all of these things that happen that are in the media, whether he's falling or bumping his head or falling upstairs or falling off his bike, whatever the case may be, we chuckle at it. We, the people that didn't vote for him, we chuckle at it. But what is the rest of the world doing? You know, I was thinking back when FDR was president. Now, he had polio, was in a wheelchair for most of his presidency. There's a lot of people that didn't know that. There's a lot of people that don't know that he had polio and he was in a wheelchair and he was handicapped. There's a lot of people that don't know that. And back in the 50s, or back in the 50s, back in the late 30s, early 40s, there was a lot of people that didn't know that because it was an agreement amongst the press. Now, granted, the press back then is nothing compared to what it is nowadays. But it was an agreement to not show that because they felt, the media felt that it would show weakness of America. It would show our weakness if we have a a cripple in the White House. That would show America's weakness. And but nowadays we have no problem doing that and then laughing at him. If you were in a grocery store minding your own business, well let's just paint a picture. You're buying your groceries, you're doing whatever, and some old man fell in front of you. Would you laugh at him? Or would you help him up? You would help him up. I, w- I would hope the people listening to the show would help him up. Um, what's happening is not funny. It's not funny. And if you don't think the things that are happening in China and Russia and you, you, uh, Ukraine, Taiwan, North Korea, if you don't think that these things that are happening don't have anything to do with what is going on with Biden, with his mannerisms and his old grandpa ways, then you're wrong. You're mistaken. The media doing the things they're doing for Biden does not help us. If you watch Fox or, you know, whatever whatever channel you watch, and if, if they're bashing uh, Biden because he's fallen and he's hitting his head and he can't climb stairs, whatever. It's not funny. I I, I get it. 
I'm not saying I, you shouldn't make fun of him. I'm not saying those things, but it's, it's really not funny because he is our face of our country. He is our leader. If he was the head coach of a football team and couldn't keep a fucking thought straight and was running all the wrong plays, what would he do? He would get fired. Okay? Now, mind you, we have an election coming up. Hopefully, that will happen. But let me play devil's advocate here. What if it doesn't happen? What would for more years of this individual be like? Forget the fact that we still have a year and a half left before those four more years. Think about those things, guys. And the reason I'm this this has nothing to do with what I want to talk about on the show today. So just bear with me. So my point being is this. If if you think it's funny, these things that are happening, then it's very, very important that we rise up and stop this from happening anymore. Now, does that mean we elect another 70-something-year-old person to be president and Trump? I don't know. I mean, mind you, you match the two together from a... Uh, from a uh, coherentness standpoint, if that's a word, then it's apples and oranges, obviously. But that's the problem we have in this country. We elect 60, 70-year-old men and women to run this country that are out of touch, that don't have a clue, and uh, they're not doing us any favors. So, And then you have situations like what we're dealing with with our ex-president the things that happen over the past seven eight years these things aren't would you admit it's a circum all you have right now is a circumstantial case uh, actually no chuck uh, I, I can tell you that the case is more than that uh, and i can't go into the particulars but there is more than circumstantial evidence now some real evidence is coming forward that just can't be ignored Russian collusion. Sort of collusion. Possible collusion. Possible collusion. Possibly. Collusion. Prove collusion. Have Democrats found any evidence of collusion? Uh, yes, we have. Cold, hard evidence. Clear evidence. The evidence is quite overwhelming on this. Bombshell. Bombshell. Bombshell report. The BuzzFeed bombshell. Was there collusion? Absolutely. Collusion. collusion. What do the Russians have? There is something that's going to come out about Russia. Bombshell. Bombshell. Steel dossier. Steel dossier. The steel dossier. What's in the steel dossier? of a size and scope probably beyond Watergate. Worse than Watergate. A Watergate moment. Desecration of our democracy. Not seen since Watergate. Bombshell. Bombshell. Yes, we have. Gallup showed that in 2014, 62% of Republicans had a favorable view of the agency. Now, it's 29%. What can be done to correct that? And what if it doesn't change? What happens? Well, it will change. The FBI will be fine in the long run. This fever around Donald Trump in the MAGA world will eventually break, but it's become somehow a nutty article of faith that the FBI is out to get Republicans. If you'd asked people 20 years ago whether that would someday be the accusation, they'd say that's nuts. It's nuts, but it will pass. Will it? Will it? Why are we this way towards the FBI? Why do we feel the way we feel when it comes to the FBI? 
there's a lot of people in this country that have not trusted law enforcement for a very long time. There's many people that probably haven't trusted law enforcement their whole life for for one reason or another. And, and that might be more based around local law enforcement. But the FBI, we have been taught to believe that the FBI was a pure and just organization. How many shows, how many movies, how many whatever that you've watched and the FBI, you know, was involved, you know, whatever criminal minds comes to mind to me because that was one of my shows I used to watch all the time. And it always seemed like those people were on our side, you know, X-Files, you know, just name a few. But the FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation, nowadays it's they're almost more along the lines of the CIA. So if the CIA is not supposed to, <laughs> not supposed to <laughs> run missions on American soil, the Central Intelligence Agency is supposed to do projects abroad supposed to so let's say for shits and giggles they do not do anything on american soil is that where the fbi stands it steps in the fbi their job in in essence really isn't necessarily for law enforcement as much as it is for law investigation something happens they step in to investigate the law being broken right your police your sheriffs your state police like in florida we have the fdle so that's the florida department of law enforcement that's kind of the florida version of the fbi other states have similar things and um <laughs> the fbi isn't you're not going to get pulled over by an FBI agent for speeding? I guess is my point. Now, uh, in the last, like he said, in the last 20 years, we wouldn't have thought nothing about it. And I would even venture to say that in the last 10 years, we probably wouldn't have thought anything about the FBI. It's not until recently that our trust or lack thereof. And the FBI has become to pass. And uh, and we could talk about the Trump situation, which is what we're going to talk about, but it, it goes past that. You figure this whole Steele dossier, this whole Russian collusion, Russian hoax, this whole situation started, what, in 20, 2016? Towards the end of the election? And the one time the, the FBI might have actually been doing their job on the Hillary stuff with the uh, emails and whatnot, and they exposed that, which probably helped her to lose, and she cried about that. They got demonized for that, but why aren't they demonized for the other? In 1950, Senator Joseph McCarthy claimed that he had proof of a communist spy ring operate, operating inside the government. Overnight, the explosive accusations blew up in the national press, but the details kept changing. Initially, McCarthy said he had a list with names of 205 communists in the State Department. 
The next day, he revised it to 57. Since he kept the list a secret, the inconsistencies were beside the point. The point was the power of the accusation, which made McCarthy's name synonymous with politics of the era. For more than a half a century, McCarthyism stood as a defining chapter in the worldview of American liberals, a warning about dangerous allure of blacklist, witch hunts, and demagogues. Until 2017, that is, when another list of alleged Russian agents roiled the American press and political class. A new outfit called Hamilton 68 claimed to have discovered hundreds of Russian-affiliated accounts that had infiltrated Twitter to sow chaos and help Donald Trump win an election. Russia stood accused of hacking social media platforms, the new centers of power, and using them to covertly direct events inside the United States. None of it was true. After reviewing Hamilton 68's secret list, Twitter safety officer Yoel Roth privately admitted that his company was allowing quote-unquote real people to be unilaterally labeled Russian stooges without evidence or recourse. The Hamilton 68 episode played out as nearly shot-for-shot remake of the McCarthy affair with one important difference. McCarthy faced some resistance from leading journalists as well as from U.S. intelligence agencies and his fellow members of Congress. In our time, those same groups lined up to support the new secret list and attack anyone who questioned them. So, back in the 50s, when you actually had journalists that weren't bought and paid for by corporations, woke corporations, these people, these, you know, mostly men, whatever, it doesn't really matter if they're men or women, were doing the right thing. And there was opposition called McCarthy out. We don't have that anymore. When proof emerged earlier in the year, in this year, that a Hamilton 68 was a high-level hoax perpetrated against the American people, it was met with a great wall of silence in the national press. The dissidence was so profound, it suggested a matter of principle rather than convenience for the uh, standard bearers of American liberalism who had lost faith in the promise of freedom and embraced a new ideal. In his last days of office... President Obama made the decision to set the country on a new course. On December 23rd of 2016, he signed into law the Counter-Foreign Propaganda and Disinformation Act, which used the language of defending the homeland to launch an open-ended offensive information war. Something in the looming specter of Donald Trump and the populist movement of 2016 reawakened sleeping monsters in the West. Disinformation a half-forgotten relic of the Cold War, was newly spoken of as urgent, existential, as an urgent existential threat. Russia was said to have exploited the vulnerabilities of the open internet to bypass U.S. strategic defenses by infiltrating private citizens' phones and laptops. The Kremlin's endgame was to colonize the minds of its targets, a tactic cyber warfare specialists call cognitive cognitive hacking 
defeating the specter was uh, was treated as a matter of national survival. The U.S. is a losing is losing a influ- influential warfare warfare. <laughs> warned a December 2016 article in the Defense Industry Journal, Defense One. The article quoted two government insiders arguing that laws written to protect U.S. citizens from state spying were jeopardizing national security. According to Rand Waltzman, a former program manager at the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, America's adversaries enjoy a significant advantage as a result of legal and organizational constraints that were subject to, and they are not. The point was echoed by Michael Lumpkin, who headed the State Department's Global Engagement Center, the agency Obama designated to run the U.S. counter-disinformation campaign. Lumpkin singled out the Privacy Act of 1974, a post-Watergate law protecting U.S. citizens from having their data collected by the government as antiquated. The 1974 Act was created to make sure that we aren't collecting data on U.S. citizens. Well, by definition, the World Wide Web is worldwide. There is no passport that goes with it. If it is is a Tunisian citizen in the United States or a U.S. citizen in Tunisia, um, I don't have the ability to discern that. If I have more ability to work with that personally, identifiable information and had access I could do more targeting more definitely to make sure I could hit the right message to the right audience at the right time the message from the US defense establishment was clear to win the information war an existential conflict taking place on the borderless dimensions of cyberspace the government needed to dispense with outdated legal distinctions between foreign territories and American citizens so real quick, we love to pass laws whenever we love to pass them. And then when we feel that they don't fit our needs anymore, we need to revamp them. So this was a law that was passed at the time, 40 some odd years, 42 years prior. And it was for our protection. In the meantime, we've had situations occur even prior to all of this, prior to 2016, take the Patriot Act, for example, that we had situations happen in this country. If you want to talk about 9-11, we want to talk about these things, we want to talk about Twitter of 2016, Facebook. And it's almost like the government, whether it's the government per se or it's the FBI, CIA, whoever, Whatever alphabet you want to throw in there. And they they work with the media, social media, national media, mainstream media, whatever, to scare us. It was very similar to, you know, COVID. All these things were, were a mind warfare to scare you, okay? So Watergate happened. They used that situation to pass a law to help protect you but not the put not presidents and, and and people like that then you know surely other things happen in between then and 9-11 but we're just going to jump to 9-11 we have a horrific event uh 
and we could do probably one or two shows on 9-11 <laughs> as to what, who, when, where, why. Um, but whoever, whatever, whoever we say did whatever, okay? If we want to say it was Al-Qaeda, if we want to say it was our own government, whatever. Like I said, show for another day. The, the facts of the matter, the basis of what, the I should say the outcome of 9-11 was what? <clears throat> Fear-mongering by our government to convince you people, uh, I say you, us people, <laughs> to give up your, your liberties of privacy because we were told if you have nothing to hide, then what are you worried about, right? If you're not a terrorist, what does it matter if we're looking at your stuff? And that's what we were told. Now, I'll say this about that. You know, 22 years ago, when this happened, there was a lot of people in this country who were like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if we have nothing to worry about, if you're not a criminal and you have nothing to worry about, then what do you care if the government's doing whatever with your stuff you're putting online or whatever now? Back then, there wasn't Facebook and stuff. The internet was relatively new still. But I think if that were to happen today, you would probably have a little bit of a different story. But anyway, the um, <laughs> we scare the majority of this of our country. And I'm like I said, I'm sure this is stuff that happens in other countries. But we have a situation that happens. We use that situation, whatever it is, to scare you and you're going to have 60, 70, 80% of the country that's like, yeah and George Bush used this to his advantage to pass the Patriot Act to go to war and I've always questioned the fact okay, let's just say for let's just assume the government narrative of 9-11 is true, you had these guys hijacked some planes crashed them into the Twin Towers tried to crashed them into the Capitol, crashed them into the Pentagon, and it was all because they hate America. Boom. We're going to go with that narrative. These gentlemen, these guys, were from Saudi Arabia, possibly backed by Osama bin Laden, who was in Afghanistan or Pakistan or wherever the hell he was at at the time. Why did we go to war with Iraq? Why did we go back into Iraq? And what was the what was the line, Bush? Now we got to fight him over there, so we don't fight him over here, right? Isn't that what he said? Okay, I, fine, I I can get with that. <laughs> but you ultimately didn't go after the person that you claimed was responsible for all this. Unfortunately, that wasn't done until Obama was president. So. I, I asked the question. I've been asking the question. Now, 20-something years ago, I didn't ask the question. I'm like, yeah, fuck them. Fuck those ragheads. Let's go in there and get them. You know? But now you look back and you're like, why did we go to Iraq? Iraq didn't attack us. It wasn't Iraqi soldiers. Saddam Hussein didn't have anything to do with that. No one's really asked that question. Why did we go to Iraq? Story for another day. <laughs> then COVID comes on top of, well, I guess the 2016 election comes. Russian disinformation. And it was interesting that when 
Romney was running against Obama in 2012, I think it was. And uh, he was talking about Russia and, and whatnot. And what was Obama's comment to Romney, if you recall? Oh, the 1980s calls. They called they want their their foreign policy back or whatever it was. So in 2012, they weren't even sweating Russia doing whatever. Four years later, Russia's infiltrating this and trying to get Donald Trump elected. Now all of a sudden, Russia's the main player in in espionage again. I, I just I just find it funny that in this day and age, with all the information that we have at our fingertips, we are we allow the government and media to fool us. Still, when 40, 50, 60 years ago, it was sure as hell a lot easier for them to fool us into things. But we get more scared quicker, quicker and believe them more than we ever did. And you can look stuff up. But we're told that if it doesn't come from ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox... If it doesn't come from a quote-unquote reputable source, it's fake news. It's it's uh, it's uh, conspiracy theories. It's whatever. Is it? The message from the U.S. defense establishment was clear. To win the information war, an existential conflict taking place in borderless dimensions of cyberspace, the government needed to dispense with outdated legal distinctions between foreign terrorists and American citizens. Since 2016, the, gov the federal government has spent billions of dollars on turning the counter-disinformation complex into one of the most powerful forces in the modern world. A sprawling uh, leviathan, le le leviathan <laughs> with tentacles reaching into both the public and private sector, which the government uses to direct the quote-unquote whole of society. Effort that aims to seize total control over the internet and achieve nothing less than the eradication of human error. So, step one in the national mobilization to defend, defeat disinfo fused the U.S. national security infrastructure with the social media platforms where the war was being fought. The government's lead counter-disinformation agency, the GEC, declared that the mission entailed seeking out and engaging the best talent within the te uh, technology sector. To that end, the government started deputizing tech executives as de facto wartime information commissioners. Companies like Facebook, Twitter, Google, and Amazon in upper management levels had uh, always included veterans of national security establishments. But with the new alliance between U.S. national security and social media, the former spooks and intelligence agents officials grew into a dominant block inside those companies. What had been a career ladder by which people stepped up from their government experience to reach private tech sector jobs turned into a Ouroboros of molded that molded the two together. With the D.C. Silicon Valley fusion, the federal bureaucracies could rely on inf informal so, uh, social connections to push their agenda inside the tech companies. In the fall of 2017, the FBI opened its Foreign Influence Task Force for the express purpose of monitoring social media to flag accounts trying to discredit U U.S. individuals 
and institutions. The Department of Homeland Security took on a similar role. At the time, Hamilton 68 blew up uh, publicly. Twitter's algorithms turned the Russian influence exposing dashboard into a major news story. Behind the scenes, Twitter executives quickly figured out that it was a scam. When Twitter reverse engineered the secret list, it found, according to the journalist Matt Taibbi, that instead of tracking how Russia influenced American attitudes, Hamilton 68 simply collected a handful of mostly real, mostly American accounts and described their organic conversation as Russian scheming. The discovery prompted Twitter's head of trust and safety, Yul Roth, to suggest in October 2017 email that the company take action to expose the hoax and call this out on the bullshit it is. In the end, neither Roth nor anyone else said a word. Instead, they laid, let um, purveyor of industrial-grade bullshit, the old-fashioned term for disinformation, continued dumping its contents directly into the news stream. And then you have to ask the question, Roth, why? Why hasn't anyone, I mean, he's gone in front of Congress, he's gone in front of committees. Why isn't he arrested? Obviously, obviously. He knows more than what he's saying. Someone obviously got to him, paid him off. They did something. Because he initially found all this stuff. And then, oh, nothing to see here. It was not enough for the few powerful agencies to combat disinformation. The strategy of national mobilization called not for not only the whole of government, but the whole of society. Approach, according to the document released by the GEC in 2018, to counter propaganda and disinformation, the agency stated, "We will require leveraging expertise from across government, tech, and marketing sectors, academia, and NGOs." This is how the government treated war against disinformation. It became the great moral crusade of its time. CIA officers at Langley came into uh, came to share a cause. With hip young journalists in Brooklyn, progressive nonprofits in D.C., George, For- George Soros funded think tanks in Prague, racially equity consultants, private equity consultants, tech company staffers in Silicon Valley, Ivy League researchers, and failed British rules. Never Trump Republicans joined forces with the DNC, which declared online disinformation a whole of society problem that requires a whole of society response. Even critics of the phenomenon included Taibbi and the Colombian uh, Journalism Review, Jeff Gerth, who recently published a discretion of the press's role in uh, promoting false Trump-Russian collusion collusion claims um, have focused on the media's failures, a framing largely shared by conservative publications which treat disinformation as a issue of partisan censorship bias. But while there's no question that the media has utterly disgraced itself, it is also a convenient fall guy. By far the weakest player in the counter-disinformation complex, the American press, once the guardian of democracy, was hollowed out to a point that could be worn like a hand puppet by the U.S. security agencies and party operatives. It would be nice to call what has taken place a tragedy, but an audience is meant to learn something from a tragedy. As a nation, America has not only learned nothing, it has been deliberately preventing, prevented 
from learning anything while being made to chase after shadows. This is not because Americans are stupid. It's because what has taken place is not a tragedy, but something closer to a crime. Disinformation is both the name of the crime and the means of covering up, a weapon that doubles as a disguise. The crime is the information war itself, which was launched under false pretenses and by its nature destroys the essential boundaries between the public and private and between the foreign and domestic, on which peace and democracy depend uh, by conflating the anti-establishment politics of domestic populace, the acts of war by foreign enemies. It justified turning weapons of war against American citizens. It turned the public arenas where social and political life take place into uh, surveillance traps and targets for mass psychological operation. The crime is a routine violation of America's rights by unelected officials who secretly control what individuals can think and say. What we are seeing now in the rev- in the re- uh, revelations exposing the inner workings of the state cooperative censor regime is only the end of the beginning. The United States is still in the earliest stages of mass mobilization that aims to harness every sector of society under the singular technocratic rule. The mobilization, which began in, as a response to the supposed urgent menace of Russian interference, now evolves into a regime of total information control that has irrigated itself into a mission of eradicating abstract dangers such as error, injustice, and harm, a goal worthy only of leaders who believe themselves to be infallible or comic book supervillains. <coughs> Excuse me. The first phase in the information war was marked by distinctively human displays of incompetence and brute force intimidation. By the next stage, already underway, is being carried out through both a scalable process of artificial intelligence and algorithmic pre-censorship that are invincibly encoded into the infrastructure of the Internet, where they can alter the perceptions of billions of people. Something monstrous is about to take shape in America. Formally, it uh, exhibits the synergy of state and corporate power in service of tri- uh, tribal zeal that is a hallmark of fascism. Yet anyone who spends time in America and is not a brainwashed zealot can tell that it's not a fascist country. What is coming into being a new form of government and social organization that is uh, different from mid-20th century liberal dem- democracy as early American Republic from the British monarchism that it grew out of and eventually supplanated. Um, a state organized the principle that exists to protect the sovereign rights of individuals is being replaced by a digital lithion that wields power through oblique algorithms and the manipulation of digital swarms. It resembles the Chinese system of social credit and a one-party state control. And yet that, too, misses distinctively American uh, providential character of the control system. In the time we lose trying to name it, the thing itself may disappear back into the bureaucratic shadows covered up by any trace of it with automatic deletions from top-secret data centers of the Amazon Web Service, the trusted cloud of the government. 
In technical or structural senses, the censorship regime's aim is to not censor or oppress, but to rule. That's why the authorities uh, can never be labeled as guilty disinformation. Not when they lied about Hunter, Li- Hunter Biden's laptops. Not when they claimed to have lab leak was a racist conspiracy. Not when they said that vaccines stopped transmissions of the novel coronavirus. Disinformation now and for all time is whatever they say it is. That is not the sign that the concept is being misused or corrupted. It is the precise functioning of the totalitarian system. In the underlying philosophy of the war against disinformation, it can be expressed in a single claim. It is this. You cannot be trusted with your own mind. What follows is an attempt to see how this philosophy has manifested into reality. Its approaches and subject of disinformation like 13 angles, like the 13 ways of looking at Blackbird, Wallace Stevens' 1917 poem, with the aim that um, composites of this partial views will provide a useful impression of disinformation's true shape and ultimate design. So, essentially, um, I, I have a lot more on this. So, um, let me see here. We're at 45 minutes. Do I want to keep on keeping on? Because I've got two, three, yeah. So, We'll get into it here, and then I'll probably stop it an hour. So just stick with me. <laughs> so Russia returns, or Russia phobia returns unexpectedly. The origins of contemporary disinformation. So the foundations of the current information war were laid in response to a sequence of events that took place in 2014. First, Russia tried to suppress the U.S.-backed Euro Maiden movement in Ukraine. A few months later, Russia invaded Crimea. And several months after that, the uh, Islamic State captured the city of Mosul in northern Iraq and declared it a capital of the new caliphate. In three separate conflicts, an enemy or revival power of the United States was seen to have successfully used not just military might, but also social media messaging campaigns designed to confuse and demoralize its enemies combination known as hybrid warfare. These conflicts convinced U.S. and NATO security officials that the power of the social media to shape public perceptions had evolved to a point where it could decide the outcome of modern wars, the outcomes that might be counter to those United States wanted. They concluded that the state had to acquire the means to take control over digital communications so that they could present reality as they wanted it to be and prevent reality from becoming anything else. Technically, hybrid warfare refers to an approach that combines military and non-military means, overt and covert operations mixed with cyber warfare and influence operations to both confuse and weaken a target while avoiding direct full-scale conventional war. In practice, it is notoriously vague. The term now covers every type of discernible Russian activity from propaganda to conventional warfare. 
and most that exist in between, wrote Russian analyst Michael Kaufman in March of uh, 2016. Over the past decade, Russia has indeed reportedly employed tactics associated with hybrid warfare, including to push, uh, including a push to target Western audience with messaging on channels like RT and Sputnik News, and with cyber operations such as the use of troll accounts. But this was not even in 2014, and it was something the United States, as well as every other major power, engaged in as well. As early as 2011, the United States was building its own troll armies online by developing software to secretly manipulate social media sites by using fake online personas to influence internet conversations and spread American propaganda. If you torture hybrid warfare long enough, it will tell you everything, Kaufman had admonished which is precisely what began happening a few months later when Trump critics popularized the idea that a hidden Russian hand was a puppeteer of political deployments, or I'm sorry, developments inside the United States. The leading voice promoting the claim was a former FBI officer and counterintelligence analyst named Clint Watts. In an article in 2016, How Russia Dominates Your Twitter Feed to Promote Lies and Trump Too, Watts and his co-author Andy Weisberg uh, describe how Russia had retrieved its Cold War era active measures campaign using propaganda disinformation to include foreign audience. As a result, according to the article, Trump voters and Russian propagandists were promoting the same stories on social media that were tended to make the America look weak and incompetent. The author's made an extraordinary claim that melting of Russian-friendly accounts and Trumpkins has been going on for some time. If that was true, it meant that anyone exposing, uh, expressing support for Trump might be an agent of Russian government. Whether or not the person intended to play that role, it meant for people to call Trumpkins who made up half of the country were attacking America from within. It meant that polit- uh, politics was now war as it is in many parts of the world, tens of millions of Americans were now the enemy. Watts made his name as a counter-terrorism analyst by studying the social media strategies used by ISIS. Uh, But with articles like this, he became the media's go-to expert on Russian trolls and Kremlin disinformation campaigns. It seems he also had powerful backers. In his book, The Assault on Intelligence, retired CIA chief Michael Hayden calls Watts the one man who more than any other was trying to ring the alarm more than two years before the 2016 elections. Hayden credited Watts with his book with teaching him the power of social media. Watts pointed out to me that Twitter makes falsehoods seem like believable through sheer repetition and volume. He labeled it a kind of uh, computational propaganda. Twitter in turn drives mainstream media. A false story algorithmically Uh, amplified by Twitter and disseminated by the media but it's no coincidence that this perfectly describes the bullshit spread on Twitter about Russian influence operations in 2017 it was Watts who came up with the idea for the Hamilton 68 dashboard and helped spearhead the initiative so we're going to go ahead and end it there and uh this will I'll continue this on. It'll either be Friday or Sunday, depending on anything going on in in the news. Um, 
I've got, let me see, two, three. Da, 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 da. Mm. Trying to find it. Trying to find the end here. So what's that? It's eight. Nine. Ten. So we got 12 more parts to talk about. So we'll, uh, like I said, we'll go ahead and end it there. And then um, we'll pick it up. We'll continue this because I think it's interesting to because this article what it does is it goes through and basically everything that's happened over the past eight years eight plus years and it'll bring us into today I mean this isn't an old article um I, I came across it I, I thought it was interesting and that's why I did the show on Sunday the the fifth uh, great awakening and it would lead into this and you'll understand if you like i said if you haven't listened to the fifth great awakening please go back and listen to it if you listen to it listen to it again and um you know you can do some of your own research you can dig into some stuff yourself but you'll understand what i meant by what i said in that show and then what we've been dealing with no matter what side quote unquote you're on um as to who's in control Biden Trump nah no I mean the one thing I always found interesting is in the questions no one really asks at least no one that you hear about what would life have been if Trump had won let's assume that everything was on the up and up and Trump won. Would we have had the issues we're having with inflation, with prices, with these? Who's who's to say? We can't really have that argument. We can't make that argument. But from a COVID standpoint, more so, how would it, how would have he how how would have how would he have been with everything? going into 20 you know 2021 and the vaccines rolling out and stuff like that and i think you know as we read on into this article it'll it'll be interesting for you let's just put it like that so with that being said guys please whatever podcast app you're on i know i reiterate this i tell you all the time but please Follow the show. Subscribe to the show. It doesn't cost you a thing. I don't do Patreons. I don't do, I'm going to hold the rest of this article back for the Patreon subscribers. I'm not that guy. I ain't got that kind of time. <laughs> You're lucky I can squeeze in three shows a week for free. So you can help me out by subscribing to the show, sharing this with your friends, and just let's just keep going. Follow us on social media if you cho- so choose at Don't Tread on America. If you aren't on social media, that's fine. Check us out at DontTreadOnAmerica.com. There you can subscribe to the website. And like I said, on any of those platforms, if you want to message the show, if you want to send me some articles, if you want to send me stuff that's happening in your neck of the woods, if you're not in this country, uh, please do so. And as soon as I get the time and I can go over some stuff and maybe put a story together, like uh, the gentleman I talked about at the beginning of the show, Eric Foster, he sends me stuff all the time. And it's kind of like I have to have time to put what he's sending me together and find a story 
out of what he's sending me. But don't worry, Eric. I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working on it, Eric. So, guys, just help me out. Share this with your friends. You guys have a great day. It is Tuesday, June 6th, 2023. And I'll talk to you again on uh, Friday.